Call Nick Page. Calling Nick Page. You may be wondering why you're hearing a dial tone and calling Nick Page. It's because he's supposed to be on this episode, but he's not here. <laughs> so we're going to hey, call him up. How's it going? Hey, what's up, Nick? You're live on the podcast. <laughs> Great. <Well>, okay. <laughs> so I, I realized that I might be a little bit late coming onto the show. <laughs> All right, we'll catch you. All right, we'll catch you when you come on. We'll see you, man. All right, we look forward to, to getting Nick Page joining us a little bit later. But first, let's get started with our podcast. Uh, we have a question from Katherine Johnson. Uh, she says, does anyone else that does HDR convert their raw files to TIFF before uh, merging the bracketed shots? Do you do that, Josh? I do not, and I've never heard of it before. No, I, this doesn't. She said she had read online somewhere that this uh, that this was something you were supposed to do. I, I I just can't imagine what benefit you could possibly get from doing this. Uh, uh, you know, the raw file. Uh, well, a raw and a TIFF is are pretty similar files. Uh, a TIFF has so much data. It may not have as much as the raw, but. It's pretty darn close at that point. Um, and so, but why you would need to convert to that format before you, um, before you're messing with the, the HDR file, th that doesn't make any sense to me, unless there's just a program that, that won't take your raw file and does need to be converted, and that's one thing. Uh, but, but I can't see any benefit to doing this. Anything I'm missing there? Yeah. You know, I, th I think, honestly, it's got to be some sort of special use case is the only thing I could think of, something we're not aware of right now that's specific to the video that she was watching. Uh, but beyond that, yeah, I mean, it's kind of a good question for Jeff, actually. Jeff Harmon might have some good thoughts on this on this question, but but as far as I can tell, I don't, I don't see a reason for it. All right, our next question comes from Gio Rizzo, uh, who has sold his first print. Congratulations. And he uh, it's a metal print, a larger one, and he had it mailed to his house, but he doesn't live in the same place as the buyer, and so he needs to now mail it to the buyer, which I totally understand because you want to take a look at the print, make sure it looks right and stuff before you ship it to the buyer. Um, every time I try to cut a corner on this, it, it doesn't work out, and the buyer's like, something's wrong with the print. Um, and if I've seen it, I can, I know what's wrong and I, I can, uh, you know, tell them, you know, why it happened or what happened or how to fix it. Uh, but if I haven't seen it, uh, it's just tough. Um, so I, I understand this, but now he's looking at the price of shipping this and he's seeing it's going to be, you know, 50, $70 to, to ship this. Um, and he's wondering if there are any solutions. You know, what I do sometimes when I have a client out of town that has purchased a photo is I'll just order two. I'll order order one to my house and check it. Uh, ProDPI gives me really fast shipping, so I can check it in just two days. And then I'll order one to them, and then I have a nice print. Uh, that's fine if it's a landscape or something. If this is somebody's wedding, I don't really want your <laughs> wedding photo in my house. Uh, so that may be one option. Um if, uh, you know, because if it's $70, you know, maybe the metal print costs 200 if it's a real big one. Um, and so it may even be worth it. And then you get a copy for yourself. Um, and he's asking about FedEx versus UPS versus USPS. Uh, I, I haven't really seen any difference other than USPS is a lot cheaper. How about you? I mean, honestly, no. That's the only thing I was going to say is the post postal service can be can be less expensive, but you you give up some of the benefits of having like we've got a I've got a local UPS store near me that I use for almost everything, mostly because they're convenient because they'll help you. Um, you. If you need to get you know postage and stuff put on something, you know you don't have to do all of that yourself. They'll help you out with it. Um, and the, my, my my big thing is I always make sure I keep every single Amazon box that I get, and not just Amazon boxes, but I get because I have tons of them, but also you know, whenever I get a, an actual print shipped to me, I hold on to that box. That way I've got it ready to ship off to the cu customer after I've had a chance to review it. Um, and that saves me half of the battle, which is finding a box that fits that specific item really well. But beyond that, I mean, I stick with the UPS store simply because it's a convenience factor for me. It has nothing to do with quality necessarily or, or cost. Cool. 
Well, I notice on the table behind you, Josh, that you have something <laughs> really, really cool that a lot of photographers are envying. It is the DJI Inspire One Professional with the X5 camera. Uh, so this is the, well, it's not the highest end drone. DJI makes some some yeah. crazy expensive ones. Uh, but but this is the professional version um, of the of the Inspire series, their, uh, their drone. Um, so t- tell us about it what your experience has been, if you'd recommend it, et cetera. Sure, absolutely. So I got this drone about a week ago. Now, it's actually not the first one they ordered. And this is one of the things I'll, I'll mention on the front end. I, I there, there are a couple things to watch out for with DJI, DJI lately. Um, and one of those is batteries. I've had three batteries come to me in just the last week, to, uh, week and a half alone that have been just completely dead on arrival, including the one that came with my first drone. So I, I get the package. I open it up. I have this amazing new drone. I get it all out and I push the button on the battery and just nothing happens. It was the most disappointing way to receive uh, the fanciest new drone you could get. Yeah, that's so I, no good. I, it was it was truly, fr- I mean, terribly frustrating. So, I mean, thankfully, Amazon Prime, there were zero issues returning it. Um, I do recommend Amazon Prime for that reason. It's a, it's a They do have a great return policy. So I returned it right away. I want, The bad part is, of course, my credit card wasn't going to be refunded immediately. So I used another credit card because I couldn't wait and ordered another one immediately. And um, uh, it, it came, this time the battery worked fine. So um, when you do get a, a good battery in your, in your Inspire 1, this, this camera is fantastic. I was going to mention the big difference between this and the Inspire 1 is the ins- regular Inspire 1 has a very similar camera to the one that comes in the Phantom series. Um, and I have a Phantom, so I can kind of compare the quality of the images a little bit. Um, it's a 60 megabyte camera. It has a micro four thirds sensor, which is, I don't know, Jim, what, uh, probably eight, 10 times the size of the small cell phone like camera sensor that's in the Phantom series. Uh, so you have a lot more real estate. Um, it allows you things like manipulating depth of field. Um, you can manu- manually adjust the aperture on the lenses that come with it. Um, so you really have the ability to control what you're doing. Um, the, the big things I've noticed quickly, just from a photographer's perspective with this drone, you have a, a lot better image quality, uh, specifically dynamic range is a lot better. You can really push the files a lot more. I tend to do a three bracket set with this, kind of like what Nick was talking about last week with the, the, the Phantom that he's got. Um, and you can really push the files when, you, when you're using this, this sensor. Um, also, the color quality is dramatically better. I've noticed that very easily, if you're playing around and editing one of the phantom files, you can, you can, you can tend to get um, a, a bit of um, uh, nasty effects really quickly if you start playing, adjusting those sliders. Um, and then finally, uh, the ability just to zoom in and crop. When you're talking about a 16 megapixel versus 12, it's not that much different, but I have seen a dramatic increase and my ability to crop in on an image uh, and adjust it without having to worry about some graininess, especially in those colorful areas like the blue sky or in in the green of of some trees or whatever. So um, I do recommend it highly for that. Um, Yeah, it it doesn't seem like much. You know, 12 to 16 megapixels is only four megapixels. But when we're already that low... Uh, on the megapixel count, I feel like those extra six make a big difference. Um, but at the same time, this whole conversation of the Inspire One that we're talking about is subject to change very soon because uh, it seems pretty clear from all the signs that DJI is sending out that uh, that there's going to be a new Inspire coming out very, very soon. So I'm anxious to see that. But I want to jump on your conversation about the Phantom. And Nick uh, has now been added uh, to the conversation. Um, And so I want to hear what you have to say about this, Nick, too, because I I know you have one. I got a nasty email from uh, from DJI over the last couple weeks. They've been uh, they've been flooding my inbox. So I wrote I wrote a a review of the Phantom and a, a comparison to the unique uh, unique is a different brand. Uh, the unique Typhoon uh, 4K, 8H4K, whatever it is. Um, and they were not happy with my review. Um, and uh, I- anyway, I the thing is, the Phantom flies better than any other helicopter out there, than any other drones. That thing flies really well. The things that I hate about the Phantom are the image quality is just it's poor. Um, and I, I really, really don't like the way that they do firmware updates several times. I have been caught spending like 
hours updating the firmware. It can happen right, and it just works. But I, I updated the firmware once the week before I went to Hawaii on a big trip. The Phantom was brand new. It was the cool new thing out, so it was exciting to get some footage. I brought it out there, and the firmware reversed every control. So when I pressed up, it went down. When I pressed left, it went, went right. <laughs> it was crazy. Um, and I had another one that I got for a real estate shoot. I had I had to go to a shoot. It was kind of an important one with a new client. And uh, the firmware started. And the firmware update lasts three hours and it just never mm. ends. And so what do you do? You know, the battery's going to run out. And so I had to do what you're never supposed to do. I had to just pull the plug during the update. Uh, unfortunately, it worked out, but it meant that I couldn't use it for the shoot and I kind of looked like a stooge in front of the client. Uh, so mm. I, there are things that really upset me about the Phantom series, but in terms of flying and cost, it's awesome. Kind of jumping back to what Josh was saying about cropping in. Yeah, they, th with the that 12 megapixel sensor, you cannot crop at all. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, you you get really spoiled looking at a DSLR file. And then when you pull up one of these drone files, they, you're just used to having more megapixels. Um, and, you know, image quality, it really comes down to the sensors that they're using. Um, the Micro Four Thirds sensor in the Inspire One, that's, it's only going to help. Um, I think image quality for video with the DJI Phantom 4 is great for video, not so much for stills. Um, I find myself doing a whole lot of noise reduction in post. And I don't know if you guys have experienced this at all, but it just seems like white balance is always wrong. And, mm -hmm. and the white balance actually acts different when you go to fix it later on in post. Like yes, you have to be totally very delicate with, with it. Yeah, it's, I agree. Yeah. When I was trying to move the white balance on it, it was like you barely move the slider yeah. and whoa, it mm -hmm. like just to the image just like falls apart. Yeah, the way it renders colors is completely different. You put it on daylight white balance and it's like, wow, that is warm. Mm -hmm. That's it's just completely different. And one of the things I do, I will say this about the, 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 the pro model, the new Inspire one is it does have, you can do some exposure lock stuff with it where basically I had an issue with the Phantom where I would go along, especially doing video and the uh, exposure would adjust and you'd have these dramatic weird yeah. light and dark shifts that would happen in the image. Um, you can really prevent that, I guess, with the, with the pro. That's one of the benefits of it. And also I noticed the video quality. And I'm not too much of a video guy, to be honest with you. I'm not the best guy to, to, to talk about that, but I've noticed that just the images are much smoother. Like when I'm moving along, especially at higher, higher speeds, Regardless of what frame rates I'm using, this the image quality is not doesn't have any of that jerkiness, which I've noticed sometimes with the Phantom when I've been in editing and in, in post. So anyway, that might be just more of an operator error than the camera. But uh, all I know is that the, the Pro is really forgiving for someone like me. Very cool. And so the difference between the DJI Inspire 1 Pro and the G, just the DJI Inspire 1 version 2 is, is what? Is, is it this camera? It's, so the camera is by far the big thing. It's a, it carries the X5 camera. Now you can actually get an adapter plate for the regular Inspire and put one of these on there. But there's other minor differences. The motors are a little bit bigger on this one, which you can't just upgrade on the reg, on the regular. Um, and also there's these little extenders in the bottom of the feet that stand it up a little bit higher because that camera is a lot bigger. Um, and this thing is significantly heavier. I mean, uh, t you know, multiples of times heavier than like a Phantom series drone. I pulled it out of the box. I was shocked. It, it just how much heavier this thing is. So, but those those are the big differences. The camera, a few other minor things with it, uh, but otherwise, it's very similar to the Inspire One, the regular. So, what could get you? Uh, well, both of you, uh, Nick. We talked just a couple weeks ago about uh, why you chose the Phantom, which I, by the way, I think was an awesome choice because it's your first drone, and you will crash your drone. <laughs> it yeah. will happen. It's a stated fact. Nobody gets away with buying a drone without crashing it at least a couple times. Uh, so, I think it's definitely the right choice to get it first. But, but what could happen in the Inspire? Inspire version two uh, that could cause you to buy, and Josh, what could cause you to upgrade if they if they included those features? <clears throat> For me, like the main thing that I'm missing in mine is the still image quality. Like if I could get something with a little more dynamic range, a little bit cleaner shadows, uh, I would be very happy. Um, yeah, that's pretty much the main thing. Like once I can 
once I feel confident that I'm not going to crash it every single time that I go out, which is definitely a, a threat right now. I'm <laughs> dangerous with the thing. Um, once I feel a little bit more confident with flying around that many thousands of dollars, um, I, I think I'd be interested in upgrading. Plus, once you know, once it's I'm legit to start making money with it, then yeah. I'll feel a little bit more confident about trying to make some of my money back with it. Yeah, that that's that's me too. Like. This fall, the law is set to change. We haven't talked right. about this on the podcast. I've made it's a note for this myself. Month. Yeah, oh, is it I this month? August 29th or 27th or something like that, I think, is when the law changes. Um, whatever so, that Yeah, so part, <laughs> I, I, just to put, I can tell, talk a little bit about that. So okay. part 107, the, the new regulations that have come out, um, allow for um, a, a new certification. The testing begins uh, on August 29th. I've actually signed up. You can sign up right now to take the test. I'm, I'm the first one in Charleston just to take it, hopefully, at 9 a.m. on the 29th. But basically, it just allows pilots who want to fly commercially, uh, uh, pilots, it allows drone pilots to fly commercially. Um, uh, instead of having to get the Section 333 exemption, which was sort of the former way that you had to do that. I got a section 333 exemption back when you could do that. Uh, but flying under the part 107 regulations is going to make a lot more sense for a lot of people. The test is not going to be super easy. I've actually done some studying on it. It's it's not, if it's basically be very similar to what a private pilot's written exam is like. So you'll be learning things about weather, a lot of stuff about charts and sectional charts and uh, airport regulations. And oh, joy. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> great. But great. That's awesome. <laughs> I, but I still think, and this is the reason why I think it makes sense to think about a drone like this: is it, the market will be flooded. I think with a lot of new people flying commercially, especially for like real estate and things. And you know, to find a way to stand apart from everyone else in terms of image quality, that's the real reason why I got the the new Inspire One Pro is because I I needed to kind of stand out from the, that onslaught of new folks who can enter the market yeah. soon. Yeah, and that's the nice thing about that the uh, the test being difficult to actually get your certification, it, that will at least like weed out some people because everybody the barrier of entry is so low to get into drone photography that you know otherwise it's just going to be flooded unless there is some kind of like you know IQ test <laughs> to do it. So <laughs> sounds like that's what, exactly what it is. Like, are you smart enough to fly a drone? <laughs> we shall see on August 29th. Yeah, I, I, I well, I, I'm excited for it, and that's cool that you've you've checked into into it more, Josh. I'm I'm definitely signing up for this uh, for sure. Boy, it's gonna be like going back to school. I thought when I was done with the bar exam that I never had to take another test in my life, uh, but here we go. Um, so anyway, I'm I'm excited to do that. I do think it is gonna bring a, a lot of people to to the market. I'm not so concerned with that. Mostly for me, it's about fun. Uh, I mean, it's, it's cool to be able to stand out in a little bit of a different way too. Uh, but mostly it's just about fun, about trying something different, very different in photography. And I will say that we've talked before on the drone episode that Nick and I did, uh, that there is a, a real learning curve to not flying the drone, but to finding photos that actually look good. Um, and, and that, uh, it really does take some practice. So even, even though, you know, you may be licensed or may know how to fly, uh, it doesn't mean the photos are going to look good. It's very different than just mm. regular photography. Uh, for the first while I, I would take pictures and I'd look at it. It's like, dang, it just looks like Google satellite images. You know, it's just, ah, that's just not real compelling. And now as, as we're seeing more and more photography come out of drones, like still photography, um, I'm starting to get more of an eye for what works. I think that's why I enjoy the video aspect of it so much more is because it's easier yeah. to make really cool looking video than it is photo. Exactly. So, because it's like, I'm flying in the air, right? <laughs> exactly. Like, Who cares what we're looking at or what the lighting is? I'm flying. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and Jim, that what you said about you know having a good composition for still images because that's really what I want to do anyway um, is challenging, and that's you know having the ability to have interchangeable lenses. Not to, to keep on hammering the point about this drone, uh, you can put lots of different focal length lenses on this new um, the X5 camera, uh, which really opens up the doors there because a lot of people are so used to seeing these big wide aerial pictures now because so many people have these drones, but when you see something is taken from a high angle 
but still has something in the foreground and you can see some depth because it's actually close enough to the camera to matter, um, but you're not actually danger flying dangerously close to it. Um, that's kind of a differentiator. And, and so I'm, again, another another reason why I think that uh, having a, a nicer camera is going to benefit people who get the, the pro. Very cool. That's awesome. Uh, well, my my hopes for for the Inspire version two are that we're going to move to six rotors. Uh, right now, we're we're quadcopters, and the competition to DJI is all kind of moving to six rotors. Um, and the benefit of that, of course, is well, one lift. You know, you have just have two more uh, two more propellers. But also, now we're uh, we're going to add quite a bit of stability by doing that. You know, we we can only we can only correct on on you know with four rotors now if we have six it just makes it that much more stable which is cool when you want to get longer and longer exposures uh, i think th i think that'd be a, a really nice thing and then i'd love to see it up from 16 mega uh, uh, megapixels up to you know 20 24 megapixels uh, which we're seeing in a lot of micro four thirds cameras and that's what this is it's a micro four thirds camera so i think that'd be pretty cool mm-hmm all right. Well, we want to get on to talk about the Canon 5D Mark IV and Wacom tablets later in this uh, episode. But first, we want to take a minute and thank Brent Rents Lenses for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Uh, Brent is a really great guy who has an excellent company uh, that's that's renting out lenses, high quality gear that he takes care of you. Uh, he's just been a, a really good person to work with and, and a good company. Uh, there are a lot of companies that are just focus on taking and not giving and this is somebody who's uh, seems to really be taking care of customers and uh, and doing doing business right so check it out at Brent rentslenses.com and use offer code improve at checkout to get 15% off your first rental. That's brentrentslenses.com and use offer code improve at checkout to get 15% off your first rental. Okay, well, I want to tell you about a new uh, new feature that we are adding on Improved Photography. Um, this is going to be on our YouTube channel, um, and this is uh, IP Critiques. Uh, this was a suggestion from a member of Improved Photography Plus that they posted in the community, and I like the suggestion, so we're going to do it. Um, we're going to do this through Instagram. So uh, if you post a photo to Instagram, all you have to do is use the hashtag IP for Improved Photography, IP Critique. Um, I, see, should it be IP critique or IP critiques? It's going to be IP critique. <laughs> IP critique is going to be the official hashtag. Uh, all you have to use is hashtag IP critique. And we're going to do a weekly feature on our YouTube channel where we take one or two of those photos and we're going to uh, critique the photos live. Uh, by using that hashtag, you agree that we can, uh, you know, Put your photo on the video so that people can actually see it uh, and talk about your photo. Uh, we like to keep things positive. We'll be, we'll be honest and, and give you good feedback on it. So be sure to go to Instagram and use hashtag IP critique and uh, then check our YouTube channel as we will be reviewing those photos. Well, I want to talk about the Canon 5D Mark IV. Nick, this is totally in your wheelhouse here. Uh, I'm sure you are lined up to buy this camera. Um, uh, I'm not sure that no? I'm lined up to buy it. I'm I'm definitely lined up to judge it because <laughs> because this this is going to be a pivotal camera for me. Um, it's got to be good for me to continue to be a Canon shooter. I think. Really? I'm just I'm getting too jealous of seeing everybody with the you know the D810 and the Sony Sony cameras. They're just so much better as far as resolution and dynamic range and all of these wonderful things that us Canon shooters don't really have. And it doesn't really matter so much for portraits and stuff, but it matters a lot for landscape. So this 5D Mark IV better not disappoint, or else Nick's going to be very upset. With He's Canon. jumping ship. Yeah, I am. I might. I just might. All right. Well, this is these are the rumored specs from CanonRumors.com. Um, usually, as cameras get pretty close, like it is right now, you know, we are within weeks of of the announcement here. Uh, usually, the specs are, are going to start to get pretty close. There are always one or two things that are off, but usually, it's not such a surprise when a new camera is released. Uh, usually, we've had enough rumors that we're pretty close by the end. So, the rumored specs uh, via CanonRumors.com is a 30.4 megapixel uh, sensor. Now. Now, uh, I always look at the at that number of the sensor to tell me new sensor or old sensor. 
I don't recall seeing any other camera, any other Canon cameras yeah. or any uh, anything else from Sony that's 30.4 megapixels. And so this is a signal to me, brand new sensor, which yeah. you would hope it's going to be in in mm-hmm. their major camera. Like this is the the money bag right here is is the uh, the 5D Mark IV. Yeah. So okay, so we're gonna get a 30.4 megapixel sensor. Looks like it's gonna be a new one. Seven frames per second average this is this excites no one uh if it were five if it were mm-hmm. six mega six frames per second you'd say it was a little f- slow if it were eight frames a second you'd say it's fine it's it's goodish uh, yep. seven frames just does nobody's gonna get excited about this mm. um the memory cards are supposed to be one compact flash and the other one sd again excites no one this excites nobody uh this is what we have on lots of cameras it igno- it annoys photographers because it means you have to carry two different exactly. kinds of cards and mm-hmm. another reason that it annoys me is because like when i shoot a wedding i'm always using two cards and the one thing that i notice every single time when i'm starting to use two cards and i slap that sd card in there because i normally use compact flash is that my camera slows down i have like zero buffer i can rattle off like four pictures and then it starts to lag and that's really, really annoying. Like, you know, you have a big important moment happening and you start rattling off photos and then your buffer fills. It really is not mm. good. So if it, if that was dual compact flash, I doubt that it would have the buffer issues that it does. And what's interesting to me is that it says that they're not going to have any CFast cards, which is bittersweet because I have a whole bunch of compact flash. I'd love to keep using them. But that the question is like how are they going to do 4k video without some kind of new card you know so yeah that, well we have seen lots of other cameras that uh, that are just sticking with you know even sd and are doing 4k so it's definitely possible um i, I don't know what the bit rate is going to be uh but mm-hmm. but it's possible Okay, well, it's supposed to have built-in Wi-Fi. Now, I will say this about the rumored specs for built-in Wi-Fi and GPS. Every camera that has been rumored <laughs> ever, ever in the last seven, eight years, has maybe five years, has been rumored to include GPS and Wi-Fi. They always say it, and at the last minute, they always rip it out. <laughs> now, I think <laughs> Canon's going to have Wi-Fi in this camera. If it doesn't have Wi-Fi, people will freak out. Uh, will it include um, will it include GPS? My vote, I doubt it. It would be sweet if it did, but my vote is I doubt it. Right. And the problem with it is that they have those magnesium bodies and it's hard to put a functional GPS and Wi-Fi thingamajiggy, whatever those are, (laughs) inside a metal housing and have it like still function properly. And that's why you see a lot of those pro bodies kind of leaving those features out and then just having them as add ons and stuff. And, you know, I think that with the Wi-Fi, too, the thing that concerns me is I know that there's some other models that have, you know, uh, the 60D, doesn't it? Or 6D, it has some sort Mm -hmm. of um, I I haven't used it, but I do know that I've heard people say it's it's not amazing. Um, I'm I'm hesitant. I use the I use the Camranger, another product to to do a lot of remote stuff. And they've got a relatively good interface. I'm just worried that this first generation on the 5D4 might not be super user friendly. And I'm I don't even know if I'd switch even if it did have it. Right. Okay, 4K video. I think this is a, a must-have. If it doesn't have 4K video, it's it would just be really weird. All the cameras that are coming out are getting 4K video. This this has traditionally been a body that Canon has has advertised heavily toward video makers. This better have 4K video. Yeah. Uh, yeah. USB three, which in theory would make uh, tethering faster. Um, problem is you're still going to be limited by the software and if we're talking about lightroom tethering it's bad it's really bad (laughs) but it's cool it it should have it in that's great Uh, you know some little things uh, moving around the cable release port Uh, one that i would consider a big one is touchscreen functionality Um, yes i i definitely think it 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 should have touchscreen functionality um and i think that's a nice thing that's like that's a reason to upgrade for me so we've gone through the specs that that are rumored at this point well let's put this back to you then nick is it enough is that enough to keep you shooting canon if these are the specs and you know we don't know anything about dynamic range and everything else you know how it's actually going to perform but spec wise what's your call on paper it looks yeah 
Yeah, it looks good. Looks solid. All I care about, though, is that sensor. All I care about is like the ISO performance and dynamic range, and that's pretty much like because functionally, the 5D Mark III is an excellent camera. It does everything I needed to do, with the exception of maybe a faster frames per second for sports. Um, other than that, it does everything I want it to do, other than a step forward in image quality, and that's really what I'm hoping for. I love the the more megapixels. I think that that's a sensible amount of megapixels. Like I don't need 50 some. That's just some serious hard drive filling nonsense. <laughs> I don't need 50 megapixels shooting a wedding. Um, I would like 50 megapixels for shooting a landscape, though. Um, so 30 megapixels, that's a, nice, that's a nice number, but really all I care about is dynamic range and ISO performance and whether this is going to be ISO invariant, because I f- really feel like now that you know, now that we're learning about that, that is a really beneficial thing. You know, anytime you have a photo and you're boosting those shadows up, you know, on a on an ISO invariant camera, you're not getting a whole bunch of noise in those shadows. But on a Canon, you are. Mm-hmm. Um, so I that's why, you know, the whole idea of shooting to the right and then darkening it down is such a popular thing that canon shooters preach because that's a real thing like we have to do that you jim you don't have to do that you can (laughs) shoot whatever exposure you want and boost it up and you're good and i I don't have that ability and i would love to be able to just expose for the highlights boost my shadows and call it good rather than having to do five shot brackets and trying to get dynamic range in other ways um, it'd be nice if i had more dynamic range so all i care about is that sensor that's the most important thing for me in this camera and I'm I'm in exact same position really as Nick. I, although I don't shoot weddings and things like that, I wouldn't mind a little bit more megapixels. I I always feel a little bit inferior if there's that A7R2 sitting over there at whatever 50, 40 something megapixels or whatever. Uh, but you know I I would I do appreciate the the savings in file size though when you're talking about 30. So um, as long as you know that dynamic range again a huge thing for me. I do a ton of real estate photography. I do some landscape photography. If I had that ability to press the files in different ways, that's really going to be the important thing for me as well. So we'll see. I'm excited. Right. Because in the end, that means less work in post. That's saving you. Having more dynamic range makes photos more possible. Like you, there's more, more options available to you when you have more dynamic range and it doesn't take, you know, five files to make a landscape photo. If I take a picture of a sunset, I'm looking at a minimum of three pictures just to make one picture. And with, you know, a camera like, you know, the Sony a7R2, uh, you're looking at one file and that's nice. And uh, yeah, so that's what I'm hoping for is dynamic range and <laughs> ISO performance. Very cool. Well, I, uh, I, my, my thoughts uh, from, from looking at these specs are this is really only what we would expect. Yeah. Uh, I don't see anything here that exceeds ex- expectations. I don't, I don't see I can't imagine anybody seeing these specs and just being blown away. It's just, eh. Um, unless they really did something different with that sensor. Um, if all they're doing is keeping up with the sensor, it's a really bad sign for Canon as far as I'm concerned. There needs right, because to be it's only a something to get excited about. Right, it's only a matter of time before there's a new Nikon camera that's even f- more better, more better <laughs> than the Canon, you know? And it, the Canon, they, they got to like, at least meet or exceed what's being done in some of the other cameras or else it's like, you know, Nick might be jumping ship. It really feels like just a safe evolutionary change from the previous version. It doesn't feel. You look at this. It's, this is not nearly as exciting as the the new iPhone, which has you know ten thousand new specs on it or whatever. This is just really, really kind of safe. And um, yeah. And speaking of the, of the new iPhone, that iPhone seven is looking good. It's basically <laughs> the same thing as your iPhone six S, but they took out the headphone jack. <laughs> mind blown <laughs> right. you know but and we'll what see. these specs kind of look like it looks like they took the specs from six years ago 
from the 5D Mark IV or 5D Mark III, copy and pasted them into a new document and then changed a couple of the numbers and bed, and was like, okay, instead of HD, it's 4K and let's move the port. Yeah, take the camera from five years ago and add 15% to every number. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's, it's very safe. It's very cautious, but an awesome sensor in this camera totally make it a buy yeah I, and I, I agree with that that's the thing you can't see from specs you know it, it just that's the one that that is right. going to matter here for right. me i i am still very very happy um in fujiland this is not going to woo me away unless they do something radically different with that sensor uh, and assuming these specs are the rumored specs are correct of course um could i move to sony from the fuji is a maybe um i really like you can't not like the sensor in the in the a7r2 you can definitely not like the interface on the a7r2 you can definitely not like the focus on the a7r2 you can definitely not like the weight of the a7r2 you're not saving weight by by going to the sony full frame system it may be mirrorless but you're really not saving weight when you consider those lenses uh so could I move to a Sony eventually? Yeah, maybe uh, if they really blew it away with the A7R3, uh, but but we'll see. Uh, but for now, I'm just very happy in Fujiland. All right, Nick, you have been checking out some Wacom tablets. <clears throat> I'm anxious to hear what you think. Yeah, so I have entered the world of the Wacom tablet, and there is a definite learning curve <laughs> for sure. I, I, I think it showed up yesterday. It, man, I, I put in so much editing. It's crazy this, to think that I only got this yesterday. But I got it yesterday. And since getting it, I just basically took my mouse, set it aside, and forced myself to use my cute little pen. And uh, I edited an entire wedding with it. And when I first started, I felt like I was using my left hand to write. Like it, everything was just slow and awkward and, and just uh, painful. But as I've practiced with it and as I've forced myself to get used to it, it's starting to, I would say I'm about to where I am with a mouse now already after, you know, I'm on day two, but wow. granted, like I spent a ton of time in front of my computer. So only 12 hours in and I'm, and, and I'm where I am with a mouse, but there's so many time saving things like, you know, uh, so the, I guess I should back up. I got the Intuos pro medium sized. It's, it's uh, not the biggest one, and it's not like the one with the screen on it, but it's it's like in the $300 range. Um, so it's not a cheap thing. But this comes with a like a little rotation dial pad thing on the side, and then it's got a bunch of programmable buttons. Like the original iPod video? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and what's cool scrolly is you can, navigation. Yeah. And what's cool is you can program not only the buttons, but you can control uh, four different banks of settings for your little rotation thing. So, like, for example, when I'm in Photoshop, I can just rotate to the left and it, and it decreases the size of my my. Uh, paintbrush increases the size if I go to the right I can hit the button and then I, now I'm in zoom feature so I can zoom and and um, and magnify that way um, there's just so many really cool features the even the buttons on the pen are programmable so I can like uh, I can uh, program one of the buttons to be like undo or something like that um, it's really sped up a lot of things inside Lightroom and Photoshop for me. It's so much more intuitive to like be painting in effects with an actual pen rather than a, a mouse. Um, it's, it's really pressure a, sensitive so that exactly. you, know, you can just press a little bit harder and you get more of the effect. That's really exactly. cool. Exactly. So for like um, skin retouching, it's excellent for that. Uh, for exposure blending, it's nice to be able to like, you know, feather the effects of, of the opacity. Or and drawing your stuff. signature for a watermark so it's skinny in places where you're drawing light exactly. and fatter in places where you're heavier. It, it yeah. totally makes sense to me. I, I tried one. It's been a few years and I'm well over overdue to try them again i like i just i get the benefit of it i just i couldn't move it's, to it i couldn't do it are you you're you don't seem to be having much trouble though huh no i mean i just forced myself to i literally like took my mouse 
set it over there, turned it off, and forced myself to do everything with it on the computer with it. And there was some things where I was like, well, I don't even know if I can do that. And then, oh, yeah, you can. Like little things like you can you can scroll just by putting two fingers on and uh, on the pad and and scroll that way up or down. You can pinch to zoom just like on a phone. Um, you can just use your finger rather than the pen. Um, there's so many things you can do. Nick, uh, you're really, you're getting me excited about this. I've, I've, <laughs> yeah. I've got this coaster sitting in front of me on my desk that I've had for about a year with a bunch of coffee stains on it. And, and actually, I just looked at it. It actually does say Wacom on it. It's a tablet. And what's funny is that is the way most people, that's what the, the end that most of these tablets uh, meet is because you get it and then you use it and you realize, oh crap, there's a learning curve. <laughs> and you realize I am not nearly as good with a pen as I am with this mouse. But one of the things I found is that I edited an entire wedding and I had zero hand fatigue because you're just, it's just so much more natural. And like when you're, when you have a mouse in your hand, right. And you need to go over to your tablet or go over to your uh, keyboard to type something. You have to take your hand off of the mouse and then do that. But when you have a hand, mouse, uh, blah, this thing, a stylus in your hand, you don't have to set it down. You just like go over there and, and type something and you can leave it in your hand and it's nice that way. Also, you can program the erasers. So like if you're doing an effect and then you just turn it over and and you use the eraser side, you're actually erasing what you just did. That's and cool. There's so many little intuitive things. It's really nice. So, so many intuitive things. <laughs> not to sound like a salesman, but you should go out and buy one. It's <laughs> cool. I, I was kind of skeptical, but the thing that really made me go out and buy one is that every single uh, uh, post-processing guy that I look up to, they all use them. You know, all your Ted Gores and all your Sean Bagshaws and all your Ryan Dyers, all those people swear by them. And I figured, you know, enough of those people uh, like it enough to, you know, all be on board with the exact same brand and everything. I was like, well, let's see what it's all I about. I got to be cool, too. Exactly. <laughs> They're doing it. All the cool kids are doing it. And I might as well do it, too. So I got it. And I'm only in day two. And I like it. Um, I'm using Windows 10 with it. And I know that that was kind of one of those reliability issues. I haven't had any problems with it. Um, yeah. Seems all right. I like it. Very cool. Well, that's all I got to say about that's that. All, that's all I got to say about that. Um, well, I want to give just an update on the improved photography retreat. We're going to call it because conference is such a boring word, isn't it? Like you hear conference and it just doesn't excite anyone, right? So we're going to call it the improved photography retreat. So uh, I got a ton of questions on this. Um, we're not ready yet to have signups, uh, but I, I can give you a lot more, more details here. Why aren't we ready for signups? It's because I've been working for three days on the website. I want it to look slick. Um, and so I've been working on the website. It's going to take me a little, a little time. Um, but, um, it, but it should be ready definitely within the next week. But a few details. The dates are going to be March 9 to 11 in beautifully warm, excellent time of year to be visiting Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, there are some really cool areas really cool areas uh to be taking landscapes around there which was a that was mm -hmm. a must when we were talking about locations for the conference uh, we talked about a lot of places that would be great in terms of getting people there like new york city uh, which you know absolutely you can take a ton of landscapes there but you're kind of locked into city you know and we wanted somewhere that you could go out and take be in the wilderness and take beautiful landscapes you could also be in the city and do street photography we got uh three major huge portraits studios uh, rented out with giant cyclorama walls and all the bells and whistles uh, for the portrait people like I wanted something that was just totally perfect for every kind of photography you there's something there for you because uh, you know I like to shoot everything I like there's not a genre of photography I don't like um, and I know a lot of people are, are like that so 
it's going to be in in Phoenix because uh, because of that and really nice weather. Uh, hotels, uh, we got an awesome hotel. It's going to be at the Hyatt in Phoenix, and we negotiated heavily uh, on a rate there. We got a great rate uh, for the hotels because they're usually crazy expensive that time of year in Phoenix because they're spring training for professional baseball, and so they're usually super expensive. But we, my wife, went to, went to bat for you guys, and she negotiated a good rate for the um, for the hotel. Hotel. Um, and we are working right now on lining up uh, some awesome speakers. I've been talking with all the improved photography hosts and some people from out of improved photography uh, who are just doing cool things that uh, we want to bring on and, and uh, tell you about. So those uh, are a little bit more details. Uh, very anxious to be out with you guys um, and, and doing it. Uh, we have some Pretty cool surprises uh, lined up for it. It's I, I don't remember the last time I was I was this excited about a, a project at, at Improved Photography. So it's going to be pretty cool. Well, in every episode, we like to leave you with a doodad of the week. Um, and this week, I want to recommend the Lexar flash drive. Now, there are, you know, flash drives are pretty uh, commoditized. They're pretty much all the same. Um, but this is the Lexar Jump Drive P20. I got the 128 gigabyte. Uh, you, you can get them 3264 128 gigabyte. Um I noticed my flash drive was just kind of taking a long time to to move some things over the other day, and I realized, dang, this is an old flash drive as I was moving photos from my uh, laptop to the desktop, and so I went and got a, a new, you know, top of the line kind of uh, kind of flash drive here, and wow, it's a lot faster, and it's only forty eight dollars um, on Amazon, so I'll leave a link to that uh, to this Lexar Jump Drive P twenty. What do you have for us, Josh? So mine this week is the Supon quarter inch camera waist holster. So I'm holding it up here for those of you watching the video. Uh, it's a cheap $6 piece of plastic. And uh, I would never hang uh, my my fancy camera off of my belt with one of these things. But what I, you might remember a couple of weeks ago, the Streaklight 360, my flat, it's like a flash on steroids. That mm-hmm. thing actually has an adapter, a, a place where you can screw in a regular threaded, um, uh, like a tr- you can mount it on a tripod. And so you can put a little ball on this thing and it hangs right off the side of you. So when I'm walking around with my Streaklight, my, mass, my huge flash, <laughs> I can I can have the battery pack on one hip and I feel like a ghostbuster or something with this giant <laughs> but anyway and then I can hang I hang the light off of my other side off of this belt and I don't I'm not worried about it I mean it's a couple hundred dollar flash and if it fell off if it's a piece of plastic it's not a big deal but this thing has worked so well and and been so secure and stable for me I would have no problem hanging you know my my full camera with big glass and lenses on it anymore uh, it's it's worked beautifully uh, for the last few weeks and to make a huge difference in my way I'm actually working when I'm out in the field specifically doing a lot of light painting with real estate and architectural photography uh, this thing is a lifesaver for six bucks um, um, you have to get one. It's the Supon camera waist holster. It looks cool. So the the drawback that I'm seeing, tell me if this is right, is mm-hmm. that this is going to take up your tripod socket. It um, yes, it will. On well, on on your flash, yes. Oh, for your flat. Oh, well, you're using it flat for a flash, but you could also use it for a camera. And if you're using it for a yes. camera, it's going to take up your tripod socket. So you yes. have to take yeah. your quick release plate on and off. That's so right. how does this attach attach to a flash? So not all flashes obviously have a threaded, you know, input on the side of them to mount to like a tripod. But for whatever reason, when you get up into these larger uh, flashes, like again, the, the Godox and for this is this brand is actually Streaklight. Um, they actually have a regular threaded, you know, female input where you could actually mount it to whatever, a, a, a clamp, an arm, whatever you would normally want to mount a light to. So uh, it just has a little ball that you screw in there and it, it slides back in this little slot and that's how it works. It's real simple. So you'd, you'd have to find some different kind of adapter if you're going to use a regular speed light. Um, but if you're using something bigger, this thing is incredible. Ah, that's pretty cool. That's awesome. Very good. Nick, how about you? Okay. So this one, I, I just got three of these. What they are is they're made by Impact. They are a flash clamp bracket. So what's cool about this is it, it's a clamp where I can clamp it to any kind of like post or, I don't know, fence rail or anything like that. And then it's just got a, a uh, flash bracket 
connected right to it. It's also got the top of like a light stand adapter here. And this is so much better at like events and weddings than a light stand because I can just clamp this up somewhere. Nobody's going to trip over this thing. It's really powerful. It like you clamp it on your fingers and it hurts <laughs> and uh, it's really stable really love this thing i think uh th these are running like 30 bucks each and uh yeah made made like a tank they grip really well and what's cool is that you can clamp this up to a post a dj light stand a you know whatever you can you can think of um anything you know probably more narrow than like two inches wide you can clamp it there and then there's nothing uh for people to trip over when you're at an event or something um and then you just mount your flash right to the the top of the bracket guy thing and then you're all secure and stuff so really like it it's all metal no plastic and that's made by impact so we'll have a link in the show notes i think it's called the impact flash clamp bracket <laughs> it can't just be cool. clamp it can't just be bracket it's clamp bracket <laughs> exactly oh, oh, oh and there was one more thing i was going to bring up we have two spots available still on our iceland tour Ooh. so that's the other part of my doodad and that, that doodad's way cooler than the clamp but uh, uh we have two spots available we're going december 5th through 11th um, to Iceland, Majid and I, and we're only taking six people. Six people with two instructors. That's pretty insane. That's going to be a Wait, ratio six of total? three to one. Yeah, six Sheesh. people total. Really small, intimate group. Tons of one-on-one -on -one instruction time. Hopefully some Aurora Borealis action. It's going to be pretty amazing. We're really stoked about that. So um, if you're interested in that, you can find that over on my website, nickpagephotography.com. Very cool. Well, I also want to share a do random of the week with you. This is something that has nothing to do with photography usually, but this week it kind of sort of tangentially does. Um, it is the FLIR thermal imaging camera. This is super cool. So uh, this is a little camera that, that attaches to the bottom of your Android or iPhone, um, and you can point it around and it will show you on your iPhone, you can take photos and video of a thermal image of whatever you're seeing. That's super cool. cool it's way handy so uh like we were playing hide and go seek with the kids in the woods and i just popped it out and wherever they were hiding at night i was like i see you <laughs> from 200 yards away um <laughs> uh, but it's also useful things like doing projects around the house like you're you know hammering into a wall and something and you, and you want to make sure there's no power behind well power is hot right so you just point the camera and you can see where the power lines are and the studs are cool. in your walls uh it's just like i found a million uses huh. for it like just walking around my house just checking around windows and stuff like i found a window that had a huge the seal was just like totally busted out and we we're just losing cool uh, uh cool air all the time through that uh it's just really cool it's expensive it costs 200 dollars, but it attaches to your, to your iphone and uh, i have just found a hundred different uses for this thing uh it's been uh pretty it's it's not a, it's not a toy it's a tool that's what i told my wife it's a tool <laughs> all right thank you everybody for uh your support of everything we do um at improve photography i really do appreciate it uh we are really stretching ourselves with a lot of new projects um in the next little while uh the improved photography retreat uh coming up uh announce or sign up should be available next week only 140 seats in there i have no idea how fast it's gonna sell uh, i don't know if it's something you got to jump on if you or if it or if you can take your time and kind of plan uh but at least be ready uh, for that so you don't miss out miss out if it does go quick i i just have no idea we've never done anything like this before um so um I'm excited for it. We have some cool plans, including breaking a Guinness World Record and a 24 or, a, well, a 72-hour nonstop model shoot. Uh, we got some fun ideas, astrophotography and drones, and we're going to have a good time. Um, plus the Improved Photography uh, Photo Locations app. Thank you all for uh, submitting your, your suggestions on, uh, on that. I have taken a lot of them and reworking the designs right now. That's um, going to take a few months to get out, but it is going to be awesome. Thanks everybody. And we'll see you in episode 189.